Can I go British? No. <laughs> no. I want to do it British. Hello, my little bear cubs. No. No. Welcome to another episode of Secondhand Therapy. Thank you. My dumbass regular American accent. We got to remind you, we're not therapists. We're not experts. Don't take this seriously. It's not professional advice. That's right. We're very dumb, 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 dumb. Very dumb, 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 dumb. Now, we have a guest. Yes. We do. Now, she did... She went on Joe Rogan's podcast before she came here. Mm-hmm. I'm not upset. Are you upset? No, no. I, yeah, I, that's okay. great. I'm a little upset, I think. <laughs> she should have come here first, but okay. Laura Bites is in the studio. Love, Laura. So funny. She's so funny. Uh, you need to, if you don't know Laura, go follow her. Go look her up. She's all over YouTube. She's so fucking funny. And uh, she has her own podcast that is super fucking dope, and you should go check out what it's called. Unsound Advice. Unsound Advice. I listened to a few episodes today, and it is top-notch, may I say. It kind of rhymes. Laura Bites, Unsound Advice. Well, that was a dumb thing to say, so let's play the music. so intense and it also got to a point where like i just wasn't getting there anymore yeah so we kind of took a break from that um and now we just talk about whatever i need to talk about that week what um what's emdr like because my therapist wants to start it and i'm terrified dude it's it's intense but i've worked through stuff in a couple of sessions in emdr that i did not work through in years of talk therapy. Mm. Um, like you, you go into it and basically you just access like a rat king of like nerve bundles of old shit. And so for me, it was like, I was having all of these memories come up that connected to like a thought that connected to an event where to me it felt like, oh, this person did this and that hurt. And then I'm like, no, actually this happened in kindergarten and that hurt more than I ever gave it credit for. And I had forgotten about it and it shaped me, you know, it fundamentally shaped my beliefs about myself. And so just all this old stuff comes up and man, my fingers are like going numb, even (laughs) remembering it Yeah, and like connects together. And, um, just makes it really clear how, why things are the way they are. And I heard someone put it really well in an ACA meeting like a while ago. She said, I came out perfectly with the ingredients that were put into me. Like if you make a recipe for cookies and you add this amount of butter, this amount of sugar, the chocolate chips, and then you cook it, like it comes out according to what you put in. I came out perfectly according to the ingredients that were put into me. And Mm. so it just makes things make sense. And then also... It's a little upsetting. What do you mean? Because that makes perfect sense. Yeah. 
Well, okay. <laughs> Go yeah. ahead. Sorry. Yeah. yeah, we're perfect. I don't know. I also have the feeling of <laughs> like if I compare myself to other women and I want to look a certain way mm-hmm. and then I'll see a picture of me as a kid and I'm like, or, or I'll see a picture of them as a kid and I'm like, I've always had this face. Mm-hmm. they've always had that face. Like, this is what I look like. Yeah. <laughs> and this is who I am, you know? Hmm. Does that make any sense? Yeah, did that you, makes Did a you lot guys want to contribute anything to the podcast today or was it just going to be me? It's, it's just you. It's up to you. It's just you, it's really. It's totally your call. It's just you. I'm still kind of mind-fucked on the idea of, like, when you think it goes back to one rooted issue and then really it goes back to uh, this thing from kindergarten or whatever. Like, that is... We talk about this a lot on here where I have trouble accessing any childhood memories. Yeah. And um, so when we're talking about trauma that's laced back to childhood, I'm like, yeah, probably. I don't know. It's such a weird thing to... Are you accessing memories or are you accessing feelings from childhood? Both. And it's interesting because they're not the things that I've always attributed to like my deep rooted fear of not being good enough or like Mm. this deep belief that I'm unlovable. Like the big headline issues are connected to these little things where it's like me talking to my, me talking to my dad and having a pleasant conversation and then him getting mad at me for something small and there were so many bigger things that happened but that memory i'm like i was bonding with him like i felt close to him Mm. in that moment and and so it's like i I, and i can't really think of another example but i'll let you know if i do but it's these little things that i had forgotten about when i'm like that was so painful and i never acknowledged it as painful nobody ever acknowledged it as painful like i thought it was small at the time yeah. and then I look back and I'm like that was really important but you can't be aware of that at that time though you're just a, a kid right yeah. yeah and if no other adult really picks up on that yeah yeah my trauma <sighs> therapist in Chicago would she said that like my first defense and I, I, I used to like dissociate a lot I do it a lot less having worked through a lot of stuff um, but she said that my first defense against like a painful thought was I would just mentally leave the room. Like she would just see my eyes glaze over and I just was gone. And she said that when I came back, like my second line of defense was to laugh at something. And she said, I, I always know that you're about to share something really painful because you laugh before you say it. Mm. And it's weird because like some of the things (laughs) I did think were funny. And she was like, (laughs) That's an example of like your caretaker completely disregarding like a basic need that you had. Like that's not funny. Yeah. And and even as I share even as I share that now, I'm like, that's not that big of a deal. You know what I mean? I don't know. I had that happen yesterday. Really? Yeah, I was talking about when I was a kid and like if I'd wake up in the middle of the night and scared and like try to go sleep in my mom's room, she'd be like, No, go back to bed, you're gonna be fine. And I'm like, I get it, but my therapist, same thing. She's like, no, that's, you're expressing fear to your main caretaker and you're being rejected. Yeah. I was like, yeah, okay. 
But yeah, yeah. Now, even now I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't want somebody to crawl into bed with me either in the middle yeah. of the night. It sounds terrible. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. And I'm like, I've learned to really differentiate between like something being painful and something and my being the victim of something. Mm-hmm. Because if I were a parent, I'm sure I would do that too. I'm yeah. sure I would be exhausted. I have done that. I was a counselor at camps for adults with special needs and I had a camper. I don't even remember it. She came into the room in the night and told me she had wet the bed. And I evidently said, no, you didn't. And I went back to sleep. And my roommate, another counselor, went and changed the bed. Because this was like an ongoing thing. Like she was always up in the night. I don't even remember that. I didn't remember it the next morning. So it's like even if someone does their best, like parents are just people and events fuck kids up. Yeah. You know? So there's a difference between something like, being harmful and painful and being abusive Mm. if that makes sense i have a question to kind of take back a little bit the memory you were talking about with your dad when you were bonding and got mad at you over something small is that a memory you've always had Mm. Mm. then did you always know that it hurt yeah It it hurt a lot at the time yeah and it was really small and it was understandable i was i was talking to him in the kitchen And I was like making him laugh. Like, I just remember feeling like he liked me. Yeah. And, um, oh God, I haven't said that. That was like painful to say because it's like so simple. And like, of course I wanted that. And then I said, damn. And I think it was because I felt like I was on his level in that moment. Like, I just wanted to kind of see if I could. I wanted to see if I could talk to him like a person. And I don't remember how old I was, but he he yelled at me. He got really mad, and then it was over. And I just felt so, like, I was like, oh, I fucked it up. Like, I felt so ashamed and embarrassed and just, like, mm. bad, you know? Yeah. And I was like, oh, we're not like that. And and I, no, I don't. I don't. My My impulse always is to justify it and be like, I understand why he did that. But now I'm like, no, nah, you didn't have to do it like that. Yeah. You know? So in that, like a moment like that with your dad where you feel like, um, like an equal or a peer or something like that, was that a rare moment growing up? Is that why it stuck out? Do you think? That connection for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I mean, peer is like the wrong, like I I never felt like I was his equal, but I felt like a person at that time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, just felt seen really. Yeah. Yeah. I felt liked. Yeah. Yeah. Man. And especially from a parental figure, that's huge. Yeah, we I think we fight oftentimes for that, where that approval or that likability from your mother or father, whoever that relationship is a little rocky from, we fight a little extra hard for that. It's so funny because I <laughs> like swear publicly and professionally more than <laughs> most people yeah. in this world. And I have like a couple of, like, I remember I was, I, I can feel it. I was walking down the stairs with my mom one day and I said, fuck. And I couldn't have been more than five and I didn't know what it meant. I thought, and I kind of think it was just my, just making a nonsense sound. Like, I don't know if I had ever heard that word before. Yeah, just mimicking. And she hit me in the face so hard. Like, she hit me in the mouth so hard, and I was so 
like st- stunned, you know, yeah. it's all of these feelings of like, again, like wow. shame, yeah. hurt, embarrassment, like I'm bad. Yeah. Um, and so I have these memories of like using foul language, not trying to be bad and then being so like being so rejected for it. And so I wonder now that like we're talking about it, I'm like, I mean, maybe I just think that swearing is funny too. There's that too. It yeah. is. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, especially when it's tied to a bit of rebellion. Yeah. 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 Like, this is okay. I can do this now. No one's yeah. getting me in the face for this now. <laughs> yeah. Or withholding love for it. What was that relationship with, like with the parents then? Were they, were they really strict? Or just overly religious? Or what was the... They were religious. I don't know if they had the energy to be as strict as they wanted to be, but there was a lot, I don't know, like strict isn't the right word because there was so much neglect. (laughs) Like I was, I was alone so much. So I got away with so much, like I was a latchkey kid. And so I was unsupervised so much of the time. Mm. Um, Only child or? No, I had an older sister, five years older, but she didn't care to really have much to do with me when we were growing up, you know? Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, she wasn't much of a, and she, like, she has told me that her biggest regret in life is the way that she treated me when we were kids. So she wasn't like, you know, there was, there was a food chain and it was like, my dad was at the top. I was the youngest. I was at the bottom and there was just like a trickle down thing of like, he beats up on me. I beat up on you. I beat up on you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but but yeah, I mean, if they had been around more, they would have been strict. I, I remember I was not supposed to watch TV after school, and my dad came home early and hid outside and watched through the window <laughs> what? me watching TV and then came in, and it scared the shit out of me, and he asked me if I had been watching TV, and I said no. And he was like, I saw you. And I got in like a huge amount of trouble. So I think if they had been around, they would have been more. Yeah. I think they would have liked to have been very strict. I think my mom, frankly, didn't really have the energy. And my dad wasn't home a lot. Because, I mean, he would work. His work day ended at, you know, five at the earliest. And then usually he went out to the bar afterwards. So he would not get home till late a lot of the time. Yeah. Yeah, my father was very absent in those ways as well. Yeah, I mean, it was easier. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's like 90s dad, you know what I mean? It's just like, go to work, go to the bar, come home, go to bed, go to work, go to the bar, you know. Yeah. Spank the kids when I need to. That's Uh, it. My dad left when I was two, so. (laughs) So he's at the bar all the time. I had a phone dad. (laughs) Yeah. You just call every couple weeks. As soon as I see you again, (laughs) you're getting it. Scary. Did your, did your dad ever do anything like that? Like, like she was saying, like set you up for failure or like intentionally try to catch you so he could chastise you? No, there was never any like setup situations, but we were talking the other day about how, uh, my father believed in spanking. My mother did not. Mm -hmm. And one of the only memories I have of my father is him like physically chasing me through the house, trying to get his hands on me. And I remember we had like this really narrow staircase and I remember trying to make it up that staircase. If I could just get to my room, I felt like I could be safe. And I remember trying to get up there and he 
caught my leg and pulled me down a little bit and was trying to get me closer. And mom broke it up before he could spank me. But that was like one of the very, like I have a handful of memories of my father and that's one, that's a big one. And so when I think of him, that's right up there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I have a lot of memories like that. And it's weird because like I remember him chasing me and I know that that happened all the time, but I don't remember what would happen when he would catch me. Mm. Like I remember being spanked. I remember being hit. I remember him throwing stuff. I remember, you know, my mom having bruises. Like I remember a lot, but I don't ever remember what would happen if he would catch me. I remember being terrified. And it's so funny because, yeah, we run up to our rooms and it's like, yeah. What's up there? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like a I door can't. that he can open. Yeah, yeah exa- uh, exactly. You're just cornered. A door that he can open. Yeah, exactly. But it's also, it's kind of, it's almost, it's kind of interesting that even as a kid, like you run to what is instinctively your safe space. Yeah. Even if it's not. Right. Is your dad, is your dad still alive? No. No. Did you guys ever have a relationship as you got older? I mean... I kept him at arm's length for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Knowing now, I mean, if I knew then what I know now, I would not have had a relationship with him until he died, which I did. I talked to him until he died. He died when I was 24. Um, But it was, it was, it was really hard. Yeah. It was really hard. I want to ask you a question. You don't have to answer it. Okay. Do now that he has passed, what would you have done differently with your dad or what regrets do you have? Cause we recently talked about this cause his dad's gone. Mine's not, we don't have a relationship and I'm trying to figure out if I need to do something while he's here or if I need to understand that I'll make peace with it after he's gone. Yeah, it's interesting because people always say that you'll wish that you had spent more time with your parents, and I don't feel that way. I wish that I had t- had hadn't stopped talking to him. I wish I'd stopped talking to him when I was eighteen, mm-hmm. um, or sooner if I could have. Um, yeah, I wish I had changed my number. I wish he didn't know where I lived because he. Yeah. Um, I. I don't wish that I had had more time with him. Um, and, you know, I've, I've done like work on that now where it's like, I don't, I'm not responsible for the feelings of people who hurt me. Like, I don't have to feel bad for telling some, for protecting myself from someone who hurts me all the time. This isn't like one or two things. This is just like, every interact it was just so painful for it was just so painful and um and I felt a lot of like family pressure there was a lot of Christian like forgiveness guilt Mm -hmm. there was a lot of you know turn the other cheek and and I and I did and there was also a lot of like I really want to have Christmas with you and I want to have it with dad or like picture him spending Christmas by himself. That's so sad. Well, he had, he had brothers he could have gone and seen and not my fucking problem. Yeah. You know? And if you, and if you want to have him there, have him there and I'll stay in Philadelphia. Like I wish I had just 
had boundaries and been like, it's going to be a no for me. And you figure out what you need to take care of yourself. But these are, this is what I got. If you want to see us on different days, you know, like why did I put myself in harm's way for someone else to have like what they wanted when it was completely at the cost of like me feeling any kind of like peace or safety, you know? Yeah. He he stalked me in my adulthood. Like he would show up at my work. He would show up at my multiple apartments. Like I wish he hadn't known where I lived. He would call me. And now looking back, I'm like, why didn't I silence my phone? But in those moments you get so like I became a child again in my body, you know, mm. like I was just that little kid getting chased around. And so I just wanted to hold perfectly still like, you know, I, I would go into a freeze response because I can't fight this man. He's bigger than me. Um, almost yeah. that like familiarity kind of almost feels like safety. No, mm. it, it feels so dangerous that I am paralyzed. Like I, I can't, I can't move. Yeah. Um, I was more afraid of him than I have ever been of anybody in my life. Wow. And, um, he, you know, he was outside my apartment ringing my buzzer while calling me over and over for over three hours. Oh my God. And I was in my apartment, like hiding next to the bed, not standing up, you know, so he couldn't see through the windows. Yeah. Day turned tonight and I'm just like in my dark apartment, just waiting for him to stop going insane from like that sound, you know? Yeah. Just, and, and so I wish that, he hadn't known where I lived so that I could have had some peace because because I now know like I can't change him. Like there's nothing that I could have there's nothing that I could have done. Yeah. You know, except remove myself from the situation. And the other thing is like no contact is not a permanent thing. Like we always have the option of dipping our toe back in and and seeing if anything has changed, seeing if we can have some kind of arm's length relationship, seeing if we can see the person for one day a year and have it go okay for a couple hours. Like, yeah. it doesn't, like, there's such a spectrum of, like, whatever feels safe to a person and, and doable. But even thinking that, it's like, there were so many times from my childhood until he died where he would, like, be on good behavior for a while. Mm. And I would, and, and I always felt like such a sucker because I believed, I believed that he had changed because I, I wanted to, like I needed to, you know? Yeah. And so I would be like, well, and, and also there was so much guilt that it was like, well, he's not doing anything wrong. Give him a chance. Yeah. He says that he loves you more than anybody in the world. Like all he wants is to have a relationship with you. Think about him sitting in, that sad like apartment, you know, like when you moved out and just like, I felt so, I felt so bad for him, um, that I wanted to forgive him and I wanted to accept that he had changed, but then he would fly into a heinous rage and I would be like, why did I fall for it again? Like, why did I think that it was going to be different? Why did I think that I could have a relationship with him? Like how many times? Am I going to fall for it, you know? And so I do have some peace over the fact that, like, I don't have to make those decisions anymore. Yeah. You know? Plus, it's really hard, too, when your family sides with the abuser. 
you know, um, yeah, family often sides with history <laughs> yeah. Yeah. because it's, you know, it's the traditional idea of like, that's your dad. You got to love your dad, you know, right. and that kind of thing. And you, and then it, it does, it, it, it snowballs with that guilt and everything else. And then you get confused and thinking like, well, maybe I will give him another chance and things like that. And fuck, that's heavy. When he passed, did you, did you deal with grieving? Whether it be his death or grieving what you wished he could have been or anything like that? Surprisingly, I didn't care about that. And I, and I always thought that I would feel bad when he died because I wasn't closer to him. Mm. And I'm like, I, I should have been there more. I should have talked to him more. I didn't feel any of that. I did cry a lot. Like, I did grieve. And I remember feeling really relieved about that. Um... Like, I remember hearing myself cry when I found out that he died and been like, oh, huh. Well, that's nice. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. it, made, it made me feel like a better person. Yeah. Um, I also felt a tremendous amount of relief. I think that my life is a lot easier now. I know that what I do now is possible because he can't stalk me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And in this line of work, it would be so easy for him to stalk me, yeah. make different profiles, show up at shows, and he would, yeah. and it would, it would be a fucking nightmare. Was he like this only with you or with your sister too and your mother? Like, what, what is the relationship with, with the abuse there and the stalking? He never stopped trying to get my mom to take him back once she mm. finally divorced him after 20 years of an abusive marriage and years of an abusive relationship before that. Um, but he wasn't loving about it. Like, he met a new woman and told my mom he had never loved anyone like this new woman. Um, He told her that he wanted to get back together with her so that he had a shot at having a relationship with me. Um, And he wasn't like this with my sister. And she resented that a lot because she put effort into having a relationship with him. She was like, I'm the one who's showing up. And you're giving all this attention to Lara, and I wanted nothing to do with him. Yeah. But there also is, you know, there are all of these like other parts of ourself and it's like that part, like that little kid that lives in me that, you know, had that conversation in the kitchen where I felt this connecting, like there's the inner child that missed her dad. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Before I knew what he was, before I knew that all dads weren't like that, you know? Um, And so I, I now see that like that's the part that cried when he died um and it comes around like the anniversary of his death is coming up uh his birthday passed recently and while it's gotten so much easier that these days hardly have any significance to me anymore Mm -hmm. for a long time i i cried on those days like i would think it was going to be nothing i wouldn't put anything in place to take care of myself on those days um and then I would find myself just like sobbing on the floor. And I'm like, and then, and I felt so silly for that. I was like, what am I doing? Like, why am I doing this? And then it was like, it clicked that it's like, well, you have more than just one you. Like, you have the adult you, and then you have that inner child that lives inside of you that like misses her dad, you know? Yeah. Have you done a lot of parts work in therapy? Um, yeah, I've done it. I've done it in different like 12 step programs too. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I feel like that's something where like once you acknowledge that as 
as being a thing, that was really eye-opening for me. Um, and in my daily, like my daily prayer and meditation, I'll check in with that a lot. You know, I'll check in with like, what are, what are my emotions? Like, where are my emotions in my body? Not in that order. First, like, where are my emotions in my body? And then like, what are they? And to do that, I naturally am checking in with my inner child. Cause it's like mm. something fear is not new, yeah. you know, <laughs> like I'm not having that for the first time today. Yeah. Like, why am I always afraid I'm going to lose people that comes from a really old place, you know? So I think to check in with our emotions in the present, like we have to check in with ourselves from the past. And it also, I mean, it helps me deal with so much of now because I'm just like, that's like, it, it's okay. I understand that you're scared. That's from that. That's not this person. Yeah. This person hasn't done that. Like we're okay today, you know? And if that does happen, you'll be okay. Cause it happened and you were okay. Yeah. Well, all of this begs the question. <laughs> yes. The king of the people pleasers. Uh, yes. How all that hit you? Oh, buddy. To be able to check in with yourself. And what I'm just starting this, this week is asking myself, um, is this true? Like when I feel about something um, and asking myself, you know, is, is that true? Yes or no? And if it is or not, then the follow-up question is, does that serve you? And then if it doesn't serve me in a way, then I need to let go of it. And that is so fucking hard to do. Um, and so what blows my mind is you being able to check in with yourself and then also then take care of those emotions accordingly. Uh, I can't do that yet. Um, how long does that take before you get to that point? It's, it's never perfect. Everything is like um, a moment, a glimpse yeah. And then another moment and then another glimpse and it happens so slowly. And then, and, and I can only speak from my experience. Like I look back over years and I'm like, Oh, this is way different now. Yeah. But it doesn't, you don't feel, I, I don't know. No, that's not true. I was going to say, I don't feel it as much becoming different, but I, I do. And I did. It's just like the awareness and putting in the work and the willingness, the willingness to feel silly has been like a huge part of it for me because oh, even yeah. having this conversation, I believe in everything I'm saying and even calling my abusive parent abusive, I feel weak. And even talking about my inner child, I feel like a woo woo LA person. And no matter how much, even talking about prayer, I feel like I'm dumb for believing in God, even though it's like such a, um, an abstract conception of yeah. God, you know, um, of a, of a higher power. And so I have all of these like little voices of judgment behind all of these things. But the reality that I can't argue with is that my life is better when I treat these little things as if they're true. And mm. when I live my life using these tools and behaving accordingly, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. If you can let go of that self-judgment and actually just let yourself do these things, your life is better. Yeah. I want so badly and I'm searching for a higher power. How did you settle on whatever God means to you? Yeah. Oh, man. I love talking about this. Thank you for asking me that. So I have worked the steps and I went in and was just like, I don't believe in God. 
like I'm willing to. So good luck. Like, please, if that's what it takes for me to be free from my addiction, please help me believe in God, you know? And, um, and it started as just a power greater than myself. So like 20 people in a room, in a circle, in a church basement, 20 people is a power greater than one person because 20 is more than one. Like that's math. I believe in that. I could accept that as a power greater than myself. I could understand that idea. Um, and then from there it was like, I understand that the cosmos, that's a power greater than myself. I can't stop the earth from turning. I can't stop the sky from being, you know? Um, and so I accepted that as a higher power. And then there's the, like, giving myself to it. And so then I just started praying to those things, which made very little sense to me at the time. But I wasn't asked if it made sense to me. I was asked if I was willing to say those words in the morning. And so I would just say, thank you, God, for keeping me sober. Please come between me and a drink today, which I thought was impossible. Um, but I said those things, and I was able to not drink. And I watched my life turn from black and white into color. I mean, I was saved from f fucking hell. And then all of these other things, all of these other like wildest dreams, I never thought I was gonna be a comedian. I never thought I was gonna be anything. Um, I got bad grades in school. I couldn't pay attention. Every teacher I ever had was just like, all she does is look out the window. Um, I never felt like I could do anything right in my life. Uh, and even with stand-up comedy, it's like, I was drunk all the time. Like, I, um, I liked it, but I also, like, lived in Wisconsin. I thought I would no sooner be a comedian than I would, like, become a blade of grass, you know? <laughs> right, yeah. Like, yeah. It, just, it just wasn't an option. It's just, like, go to school, get the best grades you can get for as long as you can, yeah. get the best job you can get. You know what I mean? But I was like, there's no fucking way I'm making it into grad school. So, you know, um, so it was just like every door felt closed. And then once I had a higher power in my life and I had a relationship and I started praying, like all these doors started opening and everything started changing and everything got better. And it has gotten better every year since then. Um, and on January 21st, I'll have 10 years sober. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Um, thank you. Yeah. And so that's how I came to have a power greater than myself is just by like getting out of the way and trying it. You know, there's a lot of like, also I really, I really like this idea and that is that you can pick your own. Um, like you can write out if, if God existed, if a higher power existed, what would you want it to look like? What would that look like to you? Mine would love me. Mine wouldn't punish me. Mine would have a sense of humor. Um, I heard someone say recently that they upgraded to like a deluxe higher power. And he was just like, my higher power has a picture of me on its mantle. As mm. opposed to like this idea of God that I had growing up, which was another punishing father figure. I didn't fucking want another punishing father figure. Right. You know, mm. who's who? I didn't want another punishing father figure watching me through the window you yeah. know 
And um, yeah, yeah. And and I don't have one. You know, I don't have one who's like, are you going to do the right thing or the wrong thing? And I fumble and choose the wrong thing. And then I'm in trouble. No, my higher power has a picture of me on the mantle and, and wants me to be happy. So your, your higher power that, that you call God now, is that rooted in any religion? No. Or is it just for lack of a better title? No. And I mean, I think that all religions get some things right. So mm. I'm not... Yeah, you know what I mean? Like there are parts of all religions that I agree with, but I'm personally certainly not religious. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Blowing my mind a little bit. Good. (laughs) I'm into it. I'm into it. Oh, another thing that I like, I'm so glad I just remembered, is that it doesn't matter if it's real or not. And that is something that really set me free. And yeah, I, I love just in general... The idea of just like, I don't know why these two things are linking together in my brain, but I was resistant to meditation for a long time because I was like, I can't do it. I can't not think for however long. And then someone said this simple thing to me and I can, I immediately was able to meditate for 20 minutes at a time. He said, your thoughts can be racing the entire time. And that is still a perfect meditation. It's just a matter of giving yourself that space. Like your body is still releasing stress. Because when do we do that? When do we give ourselves 20 minutes to not be looking at our phones or have music or the TV on in the background or a a book in front of something, you know, a conversation. Um, And so that was really helpful. And, And also really helpful is the idea that it doesn't matter if God is real. If there's nothing out there, it doesn't, it doesn't matter because what I care about is making my life better is like finding joy in my day. And I'm able to do that if I act as if something else has control of my life so that I don't have to worry about controlling everything and everyone in it. Uh. <laughs> How are you feeling about that? A little upset. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't that sound so peaceful for you, though? Yeah. Yeah. And because, you know, one thing that I, one of my things is like, I don't like inauthenticity. Yeah. And if it's not real, I don't give a fuck. And she's like, yeah, if it's not real, who gives a shit? Yeah. Like, how is it serving you, essentially? Yeah. And now I'm upset. (laughs) And now I'm upset. Now daddy's upset. <laughs> yeah. Ah, fuck. I, yeah, I. Uh, do we want to get into it? I don't know. Bro, I'm not even in the room. Just <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. The higher power is taking over Lou already. <laughs> oh, that and like the whole like meditation, if your thoughts are. Cause, yeah. Like that's even in therapy, I struggle so much. Like one of the reasons I'm dragging my feet with doing EMDR is I'm so in my head about doing it the right way, which is like, that's why I don't journal. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm like, how the fuck? Oh, I'm gonna sit here and fucking write. Yeah. Like, how do you journal the right way? And I'm like, I don't know how to journal right. So I don't do it. Meditation. I'm like, I can't sit there and not think I'm why I'm not going to do it right. We, 
just talking about journaling this week and my therapist was telling me that uh, she was talking about she was asking me how I was journaling and I was like yeah it's just more reflective about the the night before the day before and I'm usually journaling in the mornings and stuff and um, she told me that I should be journaling that that's great but I should also be journaling about the feelings that are attached to the, the reflections and I was like okay and then she was talking about different questions I could ask myself and I go uh, listen with my ADHD and shit like that like I need direct instructions <laughs> and I was like maybe I will google these journaling prompts and you know things to ask myself and uh, she goes you can absolutely do that but I want to be clear with you that like you're not doing anything wrong and there's no wrong way to journal and I was like, oh, okay. She's like, yeah. She's like, I don't want you to think that I'm telling you that you're not doing it right. She's like, there is no right way to do it. Yeah. You're do- what you're doing is great. I'm yeah. glad you're even doing it and reflecting. But these are things you could also be doing with it. And that helped me out a lot because I had that same feeling of like, well, how do you do that? Nobody tells you how. They just tell you how great it is. I'm like, oh, I meditate every morning in 20 minutes and I feel great. You're like cool how are you doing (laughs) tell me exactly (laughs) your method and it's like no you just do it yeah you just be yeah i think that's a lot of it so when you're saying do you want to get into it what are you talking about religion my feelings about it and well she's not talking about religion. i know she's not talking about religion but i feel the opposite way about control and how it relates to religion and higher power and all these things um Well, but here's the thing. So I left out a big part and that's that like I control the things that that I can. Like there's a saying like God helps those who help themselves. Yes. God will do for us what we can't do for ourselves. So I take the action and I let go of the result. I'm in control of whether or not I move my feet that day and I take the action, I'm in control of whether or not I take time to work on my set. I'm not in control of who's in the audience. I'm not in control of who sees me. I'm not in control of what opportunities they do or do not offer to me. I'm in control of whether or not I take the time to prepare. I'm in control of whether or not I open up my notebook and get a pen out. I'm not in control of whether or not I think of something funny or write a good bit. I'm in control of if I write something down. I'm not in control of if people laugh at it. So there are all of these different things. Yes, that is the clarity. And so my point was the the idea of most traditional religions is just fully letting go of control and just being like, well, God will do it. So the And so what she's doing, she's actually taking action, and that's what I like. And be the doing. relationship between God and the action is like in my daily prayer and meditation one of the prayers i say is like god please direct my thinking lead me all through this day showing me each step of the way what my next thought or action is to be mm-hmm. and giving me the power to carry that out um so it's just about like let me take it one thing at a time and just show me what's in front of me so that i can just do that little piece i n- and i never accomplished anything until I had that line of thinking. Like, I've been diagnosed with ADHD as well. And so I need my day to be fucking small. I need one thing at a time, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so in in being able to focus on just like, and that, like when I first, like found a higher power, 
it changed everything because I was able to have like a huge schedule, a huge day in front of me, which I had frankly never had before, mm-hmm. but be like, all I needed, I was living in Chicago, all in the world that I need to do right now is walk to the train. All I need to do in the world is cover this distance between myself and the train. All I need to do is physically take this next step with my feet. You know what I mean? And then I would have done this like gigantic day. Mm -hmm. So that, I mean, just that little thing completely changed my life. Yeah. Did you ever run into a time when like the one little thing felt too big? Yeah. How do you handle that? I don't know. Maybe I don't do it. Maybe I do. You know, depends on the little thing, but I still like I'll procrastinate. You know what I mean? Like I'm still very much an imperfect person, but what I do have and what I have been able to do is like, it is because of everything that I'm telling you right now. Mm. Interesting. I have questions about the relationship with your father and your upbringing and seeing the relationship between him and your mother mm-hmm. and how he treated her and how you saw that and how he treated you and how you received that. Did that shape you in ways that you looked at love and how love should be received with you and your partners and things like that? Yeah. 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 There's a lot there. So, I mean, one thing that happened was my mom has told me that she married my dad because she was in her 30s and she wanted kids. And Mm. she felt like it was her last chance. And she married my dad. I learned not to do that. I learned that (laughs) that's not a good reason. Um, When she kicked him out... um, she told me that it was the first time that she could remember feeling joy. She was like, I had this feeling that I didn't, cause I was so scared she was going to take him back. And I told her, I was like, do you swear you won't take him back? Like, do you promise he will not move back in? Yeah. And she was like, Laura, I had this feeling the other day and I couldn't put my finger on what it was. And then I realized it was joy. Um, mm. and so I learned that a person can be much happier by themselves than with someone. And I think that that's part of why I've never been married. I know I've never been with someone where I look back and I'm like, I should have married that guy. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I am, and I think it's a healthy fear. I am more afraid of marrying the wrong person than I am of never marrying. I have a nice life today. You know, I have peace and I want peace more than I want another person. I mean, I, you know, I love being in a relationship. I love companionship. I want that, but I won't, I won't, it, it doesn't come above all else, you know? Um, I also, I, I I hate admitting this because I, I continue to do the work on this and it's just, it's the hardest thing. I feel so um compelled to create conflict like even teeny tiny things where we can resolve it in five minutes i just feel so uncomfortable in the absence of conflict that i'm like am i missing something and i know it's unconscious and some of the work that 
I've done recently is um, someone suggested next time you feel the urge to bring up something that you know will probably create conflict in your relationship, ask yourself what just happened. What happened right before you had the urge to bring up that topic? And, um, and so much of it is about pausing and waiting and being willing to take the time to run it by someone else before I bring things to his doorstep so that I can really get a perspective on like, how important is this, you know? Um, but I started writing down what was happening right before I had the urge to bring up a topic that would probably create conflict and what was happening in pretty much a hundred percent of cases was I was anticipating missing him. So it would happen at times when like, we had had a really nice day together and I was going to have to go home or I had slept over and he was going to have to leave for work or, you know, or I was about to go out of town. And so in pretty much every case I was able to look and it was like, I'm going to miss him. And even if I'm the one who's leaving, I think that that still can activate those like abandonment fears and those, um, like rejection fears, just because what those are about is fear of losing the person, fear of being without. And I'm not even, I mean, one thing that like amazes me is how much of my codependence has just melted away through my creating a life that I enjoy. Like Mm. I like to, I like to go home. I like (laughs) to have my own morning, you know, on new year's we had planned for one of us to sleep over at the other's place. And we both ended up just being like, is it okay if we just like spend New Year's together and then go our separate ways so we can both have our morning routines? You know, like I like making my little pancakes, putting on like a Zoom meeting, doing my puzzle, talking to the cats. Like I like my little day. You know what I mean? I love my bed. I love my apartment. And he has a life that he's created for himself that he loves too. Like he meditates, he lets the sun in, he puts on music, he maybe puts on the news, He, you know? So like we both had, and that felt so good to me because there was a part that's like, shouldn't we start the new year together? And then I'm like, what if we start it by taking care of ourselves so that when we meet up again, it's like with a full tank, you know? Yeah, that's incredible. Did you ever have like even a fleeting feeling of anything in the ballpark of like, is it weird we don't want to be together and then like almost make a problem out of it? Yeah. Yeah. And it's so funny because he had planned to stay over at my place and then I was kind of disappointed that that wasn't going to happen. But then when I pictured that happening, I was like. I don't even want him there. Like, (laughs) (laughs) Like I love him so much, but it's like, I can't just like be in my puzzle. I can't be in my meeting. I'm making breakfast for another person or he's in my space making breakfast for himself or he's waiting to make himself breakfast and I feel bad or, you know, it's just like, I'm trying to be quiet and bringing him coffee, which I love. I love doing those things. I love when he's over, but I also love it when he's not, you know? And it's the same thing. Like when I'm at his place, like he has a tiny kitchen and I love him. I love waking up next to him. But I I also love having my own space and so does he. And so it's like, we'll do it and it's nice. 
but I don't have to be there. And I used to like try to be around the person as much as I could. Mm. Like I didn't want to go home. You know what I mean? Um, And I don't have that like separation anxiety anymore. Interesting. Yeah. How do you get over that codependency? Asking for a friend. Um, (laughs) Asking for a friend in the red hat. (laughs) There are like, there are meetings for it. Um, But also, like I said, it's just like, I, I was single for a long time. I've spent a lot of time being si- <laughs> not no. what you wanted to hear. <laughs> no, no. I am uh, struggling <laughs> with being alone right now. Yeah. And, uh, don't like it. Not fun. Uh, pure torture. Yeah, well, and that's an example of God doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. Because I always wanted a relationship. But people would continue, you know, would be removed from my life. And I'm thankful for all of those now. Yeah. You know, I'm thankful that all of those people have <laughs> left my life. Yeah. But, um, but I wasn't, I didn't want to spend all of the time single that I did, but it did enable and force me to create a life that I loved without having another person in it so and I mean it's such a cliche but then when another person came into it it's like well I still have all this other shit I've been doing that I really like doing yeah how long were you single like purposely single and I mean like (laughs) my longest relationship has been a year and a half I've had two of those Mm -hmm. I was with someone off and on for three or four years and besides those, it's like a month here, a few months there, mm. about once a year. So usually I would have a relationship like once, once a year for like a couple months. Yeah. So I've, I mean, I've spent a lot of time dating and then between relationships, I take time off. Yeah. yeah. I'm a serial monogamous. I jump from one long term to another long term. Yeah. Yeah. So being with myself is uh brand new what's that like and how long do you let it be shitty before you leave because you don't leave the day it gets shitty you know what i mean because that's just a fight he'll hang around for a decade yeah (laughs) i'm i'm a people pleaser and so i will suffer in silence and usually they are the ones to leave very rarely am i the one that speaks up and like i gotta get out of here Mm-hmm. Um, but that's years of suffering or not suffer. I don't want to sound like that, but years of yeah. not getting my needs met. You don't want to say how you actually feel. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. You can't, you can't Someone might please. hear you, right. Yeah, you can't. What if they hear that? Like what if to, it gets back to them? I got to people please my exes here. <laughs> exactly. How would they feel? <laughs> um, but not getting my needs met and, you know, whatever. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I, years. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I just don't know. I struggle with everybody needs to love me. Everybody needs to be happy with me. And um, don't want to cause any waves, those kind of things. And so uh, in relationships, when I'm not happy, I I also don't want to be bothersome and bring up things that I'm not happy about or come off nagging or whatever. You know, hey, we still haven't uh, changed the, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I'll just stick around. And hopefully things will change until they get tired of me. And then they're like, you got to go. And I'm like, okay, you got it. Yeah. You're like, thank God. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Well, it's been great. And then, uh, and then I immediately 
jump into something else. Yeah. Really trying to break that cycle. Yeah. Real hard. Don't know how to do it yet. Well, you're single, right? Yeah. Well, that's a start. It's step one. Sounds like you're doing it. (laughs) Yeah. You know, if the goal is to be single, here we are. Yeah. Yeah. Keep doing it. Well. How long has it been? Not very long. I had I had a I was in a situationship for a while, and then we decided to do a like a slow burn goodbye kind of thing. Because nothing was wrong. It's just we were just not matching up on what the next step was. Um, Tell the tell the actual juicy story. That's a a great story. I know it is. Don't just give me the headline. Tell me what happened. It's really not. It's really not. She wanted a relationship, and you weren't ready for one. Absolutely, or, yeah. yeah. Or didn't want one. With yeah, her. yeah. I, I get. I don't have a good um, definition of what relationships are, and I need to reframe what relationships are. You know what relationships are. I. You just didn't want one. Can I, ask, I, I have think a question. I do, but I. <clears throat> I think you do too. I ask you, <laughs> if you were to have a person in your life, you talk every day, text and phone calls every day. Spend several nights in a row together. Take weekend trips together. Is that a relationship? Um, we don't usually spend several nights in a row together. Okay. But if, people, if two people did unless that. Unless we're on a trip. Yeah. You would call that a relationship? No, not necessarily. Mm. A relationship is a commitment. Nice. And my guy and I were exclusive like a month and a half in. We were in a relationship four months in. Mm. Um. Okay. And I mean, being exclusive is its own kind of commitment, but it's different. That just means it's just us. And then a relationship is like, it's us and we're building something. Yeah. You know, we're not just not going to be with other people while we see where it, where it goes. Right. Yeah. You have the intention. It's not a relationship a until you say it's a relationship. And that's where I think that people get it twisted because then they're like, they don't listen to, and typically in like, male female relationships which are all i've ever experienced Mm -hmm. um the man is saying one thing and his actions are communicating another thing and Mm -hmm. we're told like watch his actions but you have to listen to the words too because if someone my experience is that if a man says that he doesn't want a relationship that's what he means and then he thinks that he's off the hook for all of his actions and he and he is you know, and so he will treat you like you're in a relationship, but that doesn't mean that you are. And so women get really confused because they're like, how the fuck am I not your girlfriend? And it's like, because he said so, bitch. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't feel good. I, I won't do it. If a, if a man tells me that he doesn't want a relationship, I believe him and I move on, you know? Yeah. yeah. If a man tells me he wants to get to know me better, he's not sure if it's going to turn into a relationship, I'll date him and we'll see where it goes. Because you shouldn't be sure it's going to turn into a relationship right away. Yeah. Laura, you might be healed. (laughs) 